This is Mark Ronson with his incredible new album, Late Night Feelings. Featuring the hit singles, Late Night Feelings and Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. Mark Ronson, Late Night Feelings, out Friday. Hello, friends. Jeff Kanata here. You're about to hear an episode of the Slash Filmcast that we recorded without Dave Chen. He's usually the guy that records the episode, edits the episode, and publishes it. And I had that responsibility this week, so of course, things went a little rocky. I apologize for the first 20 minutes or so of the podcast. The audio is a little weird. Uh, Devendra had some issues with some clipping. Some of the levels are weird. I promise you it gets sorted out. If you can stick with us through 20 minutes, uh, the vast majority of the show sounds much, much better. I apologize and hope to be better next week, but I think you can still enjoy the show despite some of those minor issues, but I wanted to mention it so you didn't have to email me and let me know. Thanks so much for listening, and now, take it away, me. everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm Jeff Kanata, and with me is... Adventure Hardwire. And you may notice that we are without our erstwhile host, David Chen. He is absent this week, and most likely next week as well. So we have not one, but two people filling the sizable shoes of Mr. David Chen, including the owner and founder of SlashFilm.com. You probably know him from the Slash Film Daily podcast and also as a, a frequent non-winner of the wow. summer movie wager. Mr. Peter Serretta. Hello, Peter. I've won a couple times. and I, I just <laughs> want to say that uh, the left side of Dave's chair is a little bit warm. It's weird. <laughs> yes. Well, let's find out if the right side of the chair is warm as well, because uh, not only do we have Peter Serretta joining us, but we also have the deputy entertainment editor at Mashable, one of our favorite guests, Miss Angie Han is back with us. Hi, Angie. Hello. Um, the other side of the chair is actually freezing cold. I don't know what's going on <laughs> with that guy. You know what? That tracks, actually. Uh, he runs hot and cold. He definitely runs hot and cold, that David Chen. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a fun episode this week. It's something a little different. We're going to actually be reviewing two movies with full reviews because this week we just couldn't ignore either movie. We're going to be re- reviewing both Venom and A Star is Born. So uh, it'll be a little tricky because we'll do Venom and then we'll do spoilers for Venom and then we'll come back and do non-spoilers for A Star is Born and spoilers for A Star is Born. So if you're adverse to spoilers, as I am, um, we'll try to put some uh, some timestamps in the show notes, although that's a little tricky with the way ads are kind of dynamically inserted into our show. But we'll try to do our best to help you out and give you clear warnings uh, for all the spoiler stuff. Um, but I think both of these movies are going to be a lot of fun. And to be honest... You may not even have to avoid spoilers for Venom. We'll find out. We'll find that out uh, as we talk about it. But before we even jump into any of that, right at the top of the show, I should tell you, if you want to email us, you can do so at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And we also have a way for you to support the show. We have some some donors that have uh, joined up and decided to support us, uh, including Frederico Macera, Natan Chaitlin, uh, Roland Calusa. 
who writes this message. Hey, guys, it'd be great if you could give a shout out to our pal Lee Niederkoffler in, from Vienna, who turns 32 on October 10th. The Dope Boys wish him a happy birthday. Thank you. Hey, happy birthday, Lee, from all of us here at the Slash Filmcast. We also have a new subscriber, Ashley Wolf. You can donate by using the PayPal link on our on our show page or by going to, going to paypal.me slash filmcast. All right, guys, let's dive into our review right at the top here of Venom. You should be extremely afraid. Thank you for bringing us collectively to this moment. It is a moment that so many have dreamed of claiming history starts today. The guy you work for is an evil person. I don't work for him. My firm works for him. Are you gonna behave yourself tomorrow? I told you I'm gonna do my job. I'm a reporter. I follow people that do not want to be followed. What about the allegations that you recruit the most vulnerable for tests that end up killing people? Your time to go. You're finished, Mr. Brock. Was that a threat? You had to learn how to hide in plain sight. I'm pretty good at it. But you, you suck. Venom, the comic book movie based on the Spider-Man villain without Spider-Man in it. Venom, of course, is a Marvel property. This is a uh, a Sony film, so no no Spider-Man. No, uh, no <laughs> connection to the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. Vegas but it does to New York. That's all. <laughs> yes, it doesn't mean it's not even placed in New York. We're in San Francisco in this movie, mm-hmm. um, and it uh, it is directed by Ruben Fleischer, starring Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams. Tom Hardy playing Eddie Brock. The uh, the official. Description from IMDb is when Eddie Brock acquires the powers of a symbiote, he will have to release his alter ego Venom to save his life. Let's start with Peter Serretta. Peter, tell me what you thought of Venom. Okay, Jeff, uh, to tell you what I thought of Venom, I have to go in a uh, give you a quick story. And this might be a story you guys have heard, but maybe not a story that the listeners have heard. And that is the story of Marvel Comics. Mm. Uh, they were a a uh, you know a huge comic book entity, but in the late nineties they were not doing well. They uh, Toy Biz, this uh, this toy company that was struggling. Uh, basically, they made this deal with Toy Biz for forty percent of the company because Toy Biz thought that they could sell toys based on the Marvel. Uh, comics uh, characters in in that way there would be no licensing fee uh marvel went bankrupt as you know jeff and Mm -hmm. uh in that whole uh process um they they decided to do movies they they decided to get into movies and that was the way for them to get out of uh bankruptcy so it's kind uh, of hard to imagine now them in such financial straits but this was kind of a hail mary pass to save the company yes and uh a charming toy designer named Avi Arad. He's an Israeli American. Uh, he he believed uh, Marvel could be a big Hollywood player. He was, uh, uh, you know, one of the only people in the world that believed it at the time. And uh, he he started producing these movies. And um, he actually wanted to stop making comics and only make toys. 
Uh, this this is the guy that made uh, that decided to make Daredevil uh, cut it down from if you've ever seen that uh, director's cut on DVD into mm-hmm. a ninety Which minute is movie. Pretty good. The director's yeah. cut so much better. Yeah. Well, he's responsible for that ninety minute movie that we got, and he's he's responsible for <laughs> Venom being in Spider Man three. He's uh when 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 Kevin Feige did the deal to bring Spider-Man to the MCU in Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, part of that deal was to, uh, you know, get uh, Arad out of there. He's an mm-hmm. executive producer. Uh, so basically what I'm saying is Arad makes bad movies. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he, he left Marvel to make, like, the Bratz movie. And, yeah, uh, based on the toys, the Bratz, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he made the Amazing Spider-Man movies. He's still stuck to the Spider-Man property. I don't know what kind of contract he has. Anyways, so this is a long way of saying that I, I felt Venom was an Avi Arad movie. <laughs> it felt like a <laughs> 90s movie. It felt like it was something made, you know, probably right after uh, Daredevil and somehow never got released until this year. Uh, but in that way, I think it was one, it's probably the best bad movie of 2018. I had so much fun laughing at it. Uh, and, uh, do you think you were laughing at it or laughing with it? I'm not sure. I think I was laughing at it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, yeah. And, uh, I think there's some fun to be had with this conceit of, you know, a hero that is kind of struggling with his alter ego in kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of way. I don't think it was entirely successful, but uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Angie, uh, Tom Hardy, big time sort of, uh, I would say, an actor with lots of Lots of cred, you know. He's a he's a media darling. He's been in some incredible movies. He usually picks really interesting, bizarre roles. Uh, odd to see him, I think, take this. What did you think of what Tom Hardy did in in Venom, and what did you think of Venom overall? I think I'm kind of with it's it's a good bad movie because I feel like people kind of assume that when we're like, oh, this movie's terrible. Everyone's like, oh, it must be hilarious or whatever. But most bad movies are just boring. Venom is a bad movie that is not boring. It is actually, like, bad in a fun way. Um, and I, I still cannot figure out for the life of me to what extent I was laughing with it versus <laughs> laughing at it because I cannot tell. I, I've thought about it for so much, and I cannot tell how much of the humor in this movie is intentional. I just know that I laughed so much. I, I think that a lot of the humor in this movie is intentional. I think this movie is in on its joke. I mean, Ruben Fleischer has made action comedies, right? He made Zombieland. He knows he knows okay. how to, okay. Okay. to have fun with his characters. And I think I think it's pretty clear that this movie is is having a funny, silly time with its I premise. I think it's a little bit of both. Like my guess is that it's a little bit intentional and a, and a little bit unintentional. But everyone was always like, "Oh, Ruben Fleischer is a great director. He made Zombie Like. He also made Thirty Minutes or Less and Gangster Squad." So you know, let's calm down here. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah. He had one good movie. Yeah. Yes, yeah, but he's a guy that has made four good movies, and one of them everyone really likes, and then like the other three, everyone's like, uh, and Gangster Squad honestly is a movie that I hated so much. It still makes me angry when I remember that it exists. Yep, so yep. you know, my expectations for this movie were not super high. Um, but talking about Tom Hardy, I mean, he, I, I was very puzzled as to why he took this role. But when you when I watched it, I was like, I mean, I kind of get it. Like he's having a lot of fun with it. He's really making it work. Like he's the movie. I think starts 
it starts out kind of like bad in that boring way where you're just like, oh my God, let's just get this over with. And then when Venom and Tom Hardy kind of come together, that's when the movie suddenly just explodes into something really odd and fun, um, intentionally or not. Um, and so I, I, yeah, yeah, like I think he did, I think he is doing a lot of the work of selling this movie and making it as enjoyable as it is. So I have to give him a lot of credit for that. So you're, you're describing it as enjoyable, as fun. Is it, a movie you liked? Did you did you have a good time watching it? Would you recommend it? I had a good time watching it. I don't know if I would recommend it or not. I would have to kind of think about who's asking me that question and like what they what their taste in movies is like because I I do feel like if you're going in expecting a straightforward good movie, it's going to be very frustrating because this movie is dumb as rocks. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like you know all the like if you're if you're kind of hoping for an interesting plot or like compelling characters, you know things like that like this this movie doesn't really have any of that if you're looking for if you're hoping for something that's kind of like marvel cinematic universe that like kind of movie then this movie isn't really going to deliver so i in terms of whether i would recommend this to someone it would i I feel like i feel like maybe but depending on the person and then only with a lot of caveats i don't know what about you guys uh Devendra, I, I've been telling people that I liked this movie the first time I saw it when it was called The Mask. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what did you think of Venom? You missed out on a uh, Boom Goes the Dynamite thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you could have done, done it. Except it wouldn't have been like a career launching performance for Tom Hardy. You know, it's just a, it's a career <laughs> curiosity for Tom Hardy, as many things are for him, it seems. Uh, I, I feel like I'm falling in line with you guys. Uh, this is not a good movie. It's a very bad movie, but it is fun at times. Uh, I would describe this as a great uh, basic cable movie. You know, growing up, uh, I saw most movies on TV. I didn't get to go to the theater that much. Uh, so I ended up watching a lot of things on maybe HBO or also when they're watered down and brought to like FX or something. Or was that even around back then? Like something like some sort of station like that. And I feel like that's the best way to enjoy this movie where there's no very little investment on your part. Uh, you don't have to drive to theater. You don't really have to pay for it. Um, but if you can watch this movie, turn your bring off, uh, gather some friends and get a little drunk, maybe, uh, it's perfectly fun for that. Like there are some good elements. Um, I think it's funny at times, uh, but yeah, it is, I I think mostly a curiosity because it does feel so much, um, like a nineties action movie, like straight right up to the Eminem, uh, theme song, I guess, or signature track. Like this, this reminded me of Spawn, uh, a movie uh, which Roger Ebert gave four stars, by the way. I always remember that, and that's a really interesting review to read. Uh, but the Spawn soundtrack, that movie was yeah, so-so, but it was kind of a phenomenon, weirdly, and the soundtrack was killer. Um, I think back to things like that. Uh, kids today, they're so spoiled with these uh, MCU movies that uh, are at least consistently enjoyable at, at a baseline level. Um, so like, this is a bit of that weirdness that felt kind of nostalgic in a way. Uh, but yeah, I would not uh, recommend people run out to the theater and see this. Uh, my final question is why, not just why Tom Hardy is in this movie, why is Michelle Williams in this movie, who is, I think, one of the best actors of our time? Right now, like she, she is, she's incredible. What is she doing in this movie? Uh, it is kind of hilarious. I, I think it's worth it for one scene that we'll probably talk about in spoilers, but that's it. Do, didn't you do an interview where she kind of basically, like in a roundabout way, was basically like, "I did it for the money," which, like, good for her. Yeah, yeah. You know, get paid. Good for her, know? but yeah. Yeah, man, the check clears. I think the check clears. And this movie seems to be doing well at the box office this weekend. We'll find out more. Uh, we're, we're recording it during the weekend, but it seems like it's doing pretty darn good. Um, Which, by the way, I'm shocked because all the trailers for this movie made it look like 
trash and i even on slash home daily i i put put it out there to like listeners <laughs> like who is excited for this movie and only two people you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like so but but it, i don't know maybe 13 year olds uh it's a, it's a good general audience movie, right? This is like the McDonald's of burgers or something. Yeah. Like it's not good, but a lot of people will enjoy it and have fun with it. It's like whatever. I have an anecdote to support that. I, I went to a screening on Thursday night uh, at my local multiplex. I don't know if I've told anybody this, but I live right across the street from a movie theater. And um, so it was like, you know, it was like the pre-opening night, the Thursday night screening. And I happened to be sitting right behind three guys Big dudes, I would say probably in their late 20s, early 30s, maybe, you know, not teenagers, but uh, these big guys wearing hoodies. They brought their they brought like two liters of soda in with them. Not allowed. Rock. Yeah, not allowed. Right. They like, you know, breaking the rules already. Uh, they were raucous and rowdy before the movie like laughing and talking to each other and having a great old time and i was like sitting right behind him going oh man i'm worried one of the guys pulled out his cell phone and was showing the other guy a girl he saw on facebook or whatever and you know i'm like oh there's gonna be a problem and sure enough during the movie they were just as raucous (laughs) and rowdy and i have never seen anyone enjoy something that shouldn't be enjoyed as much as these guys they they were a dumb joke would happen and they would laugh and lean forward and hit each other and be like, oh, I don't know if they were on something or what, but they were having the time of their lives. Uh, like, you know, Tom Hardy would say something that doesn't even elicit a laugh. Like, I don't even remember a line that he says, but it's something, you know, something along the lines of, well, no, I didn't. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. You know, it's like, <laughs> what is even happening with you guys? So maybe I'm out of touch with that audience. Uh, but I was not looking forward to this at all. As I've said many times, I'm a Marvel zombie from way back, but I've never had a lot of affection for Venom, right. particularly as a character. I thought Venom was a uh, an effective Spider-Man villain. The idea of a, a villain who basically has all the same powers as you but can do them better, that's a really cool idea. It's very common, but um, you know, it worked out really well. The neat thing the way it was introduced in the comics where spider-man finds the symbiote himself and wears the suit for a while and then realizes that it's not so good and uh and gets rid of it and so the symbiote is is, dancing i remember that yeah (laughs) right uh yeah i don't think that's canon but but Um, but but, but the character from the comics looks so cool because of todd mcfarlane like it was kind of like ghostwriter like i think both of those characters no one I don't feel like there was like a strong like attachment to it. It was just that they looked effing. You're right. And it was a time, it was sort of the mid nineties when that mm-hmm. was all that mattered. Like, was there a cool artist drawing it in a cool way? Then it's going to sell. And it, it sort of became, it's of a time where anti-heroes were taking over and dark comics, dark and gritty was uh, the requirement for comics to sell. And so Venom, went from being, I think, a really clever, fun villain foil for, for Spider-Man and became a hero in its own right. And it, you know, it had its own comic and ha- continues to be a sort of in this quasi state mm-hmm. of, of being a character that, you know, yeah. warrants its own stuff. I just never felt that. I never had a connection to that. And I, Knowing this had nothing to do with Spider-Man and lived in its own sort of corner of the world, I just was not looking forward to it. And I have to say, I didn't hate this movie. 
I didn't hate it. I thought I was going to hate it, and I did not. And it's because of all the reasons you guys have talked about, where Tom Hardy seems like he's having a blast. Uh, and he really, like, leaps into this with a lot of uh, fun. He's, he's you know, playing that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing to its fullest. And there are many wonderful sequences where he, because the symbiote is around him and controlling him, he is not in control of himself, but is also kicking ass. And that's just a fun thing to see. It's it's fun to see him sort of out of control, but doing cool stuff. So all of those sequences, I think, really work. Uh, I think, as you guys have pointed out, there's a lot of dumb in this movie. Everything the villain does in this movie is straight up dumb. Uh, Riz Ahmed, <laughs> whose name we haven't even mentioned yet, plays the sort of bad guy, Steve Jobs slash Mark Zuckerberg uh, of this world. And no, he's purely Elon Musk. Like he's an Elon Musk like uh, yeah, standard. You're right. Yeah. Elon Musk it's is all about rockets. Yeah. yeah. And uh, everything he does is just mustache twirling, stupid. It, you don't buy it for one second that he would do any of this stuff or that a, a human being would do any. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so over the top, cartoonish, dumb that anytime he's involved, it doesn't, it's not particularly fun to watch it's it's kind of sad i will say though because i've uh interviewed people from silicon valley who have like outlandish ideas about how to save humanity and they're purely yeah. like they're fully committed to it you know like they believe what they're doing is right and there there certainly are ways to play this character uh where he's actually committed to it in a good like he thinks he's doing the right thing you know and whereas this is like your plan is to what uh, not a huge spoiler to say, but yeah, it involves symbiotes, it involves humans. Uh, <laughs> nothing about this makes sense. And meanwhile, there's like a whole crew of people working for him. Who's like, yep, I, I guess this is cool. All the other doctors are like, yeah, they're going along with all these experiments. All right. That's just the yeah. level of intelligence that this movie is playing at. Like, I mean, you're talking about how the Rizomed character is bad at his job. What about whenever Tom Hardy is being a journalist? <laughs> He's a flyer, okay? You know, get it right, Andrew. Rides on a motorcycle. <laughs> like all journalists. Like all journalists. That's how we By are. the way, I love that Carlton Drake doesn't uh, have any security cameras in his, like, high-tech <laughs> facility. Uh, I, I want to give a shout-out to Matt Singer at Screen Crush did this 10 Ways Venom Makes Absolutely No Sense article, and it had, it's just hilarious. It lists off... Uh, things like that yeah i I mean well i guess if you're doing that kind of evil stuff in your office you don't want any cameras to to record it but i don't know uh it it, yeah it's real dumb and yet i kind of had fun i had more fun than i thought i was gonna have and maybe because my expectations were so low i didn't hate it i didn't hate it i did hate the look of venom anytime that uh tom hardy goes full venom it becomes a cartoon uh, which <laughs> At is least they don't like stick his head in it like they did with uh, with Spider Man three right which was yeah that was that was the worst of both worlds is what I call that <laughs> like you, you hire Topher Grace you got you got to see his face like what big money big money Topher Grace you got to see him <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's what that, that's how you remember it if you hire Topher Grace you yeah. got to see his face that's what they always say in Hollywood um, <laughs> a, a few months ago I tweeted out we are Venom question mark and Topher Grace responded. Not anymore, bro. <laughs> That's so good. That's, That's so good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the just, I think the effect of the symbiote uh, by itself as this like swirling mass of spindly, tentacly goo is really cool looking. But anytime we see full venom, it is 
ridiculously unrealistic, like the way Venom moves, the way Venom exists in the real world, all of it feels really cartoonish and bizarre. And I don't understand why it couldn't have been better. Like that just, it just feels wrong and it just doesn't feel realistic at all. You're watching a different movie all of a sudden you're watching the mask, you know, it's, it's very odd, but, uh, but again, didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. I, I don't, want a sequel it sounds like we're probably going to get one but um it wasn't as terrible as i thought it was going to be and in fact as you guys have mentioned there are plenty of moments where i was kind of having a good time so uh anything else you guys want to talk about before we get to some spoilers for venom i I do want to say that's a sparkling endorsement from all of us uh (laughs) this movie still makes me weep for the state of like modern cinema you know i will say that even (laughs) Some elements of it were kind of fun. I I still want movies to do better. I think that's perfectly fair. Um, it's it's just the balance, right? Like uh, I think, like you said, Angie, we see so many bad movies that are just also boring and you know dumb to deal with and sit through. Um, I, I'm thinking of like The Mummy, which is a movie that happened this year, and I know you you kind of like that too, Jeff. So no offense to you there, but I think of that movie <laughs> and I think of just like the existential dread I had of just like wanting to leave that theater wanting to leave my body and wanting to leave the planet while seeing that movie. Uh, this one, at least I don't want to, you know, not exist anymore while watching it. It's fun enough for that. <laughs> I don't want to not exist anymore while watching it. Devendra Hardwar. Yeah. I, I'm so surprised. Like this whole cast kind of enjoyed this movie. Like, I, uh, Angie, I suggested you come on this podcast because I was like, oh, she's going to be the one that likes this movie. <laughs> I know uh, what you think of my taste in superhero movies. <laughs> well, no, I saw your tweets, and I knew, like, I, I, I thought for sure Jeff was going to hate it, and Devendra was going to hate it, and I was like, I need someone a little bit on my side here. In but, your defense, uh, I thought I was going to hate it too, and uh, <laughs> and I didn't hate it. Um, I will say this: the movie was shot as an R-rated film. They wanted to go kind of Deadpool-ish and I think it was smart of them to cut it down to a PG-13 uh, because I really don't even know what an R-rated version of this film would even look like. It didn't seem like it was neutered yeah. in any way. And uh, More blood and maybe more uh, head-eating, like more grotesque head-eating, which yeah. uh, we all want to see. But just imagine, like, you know, the box office shows, you know, all the 13-year-old kids are coming out to see this movie. Like, it, uh, I don't know. I think it was a good uh, choice. And the other thing I wanted to point out is I love the in-association with Marvel uh, yeah. <laughs> opening, which it's like we're kind of connected to this movie, but we didn't really do anything. Here yeah, about. please, can we get the rub of goodwill from that? Please, please, please. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, uh, let's uh, let's talk some spoilers for Venom starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, time to talk spoilers for Venom. Um, I, I, is there stuff to spoil? I guess there's stuff to spoil. I mean, we can start. Yeah. We can start with the most fun spoiler, which is the uh, the post credit scene, <laughs> because. I guess you have to do one of those if if you're in association. Oh no, with- I ran. So please describe the post credit credit scene for me. Uh, well, I guess well, that uh, Woody Harrelson is going to play Carnage in the sequel, I guess. Uh, and they don't make it subtle at all. Um, oh, he literally says there's going to be Carnage. Yes. Uh... Yeah, it's Woody Harrelson in the most ridiculous red frizzy wig. 
in a uh, in a straitjacket in a high uh, you know high security prison, and Eddie Brock is going to to interview him, and I guess he's a serial. Ki- I mean, if you know the Carnage backstory, that makes sense. Uh, and uh, he says there's going to be Carnage. Uh, what? A, so first of all, Venom is a like a controversial character, I guess, uh, for Marvel, but Carnage was just Venom more. So he yes. was even worse of a character. So, of course, they're going there. I guess that yeah. makes sense. Venom more. I mean, one of the biggest gripes that I have about this movie, though, is it, it does the thing that I know all of you guys really hate, and I only sometimes hate, which is uh, the big superhero ending where you have the CGI character against the other CGI character in a big CGI smackdown. Uh, and but I kind of loved like how the symbiote was doing this kind of like Pollock-style uh, you know, 3D visual thing. Like, it looked cool. You mean because and when they would funny. smack each other, you'd sort yeah. of see Resumed and yeah. and Tom Hardy in there? Yeah. I thought that was neat. But ultimately, the, like, Venom versus Venom, or I guess it was, uh, what was the name of the other guy? Riot. Riot. Thank you. Yeah. Did they, like, did they listen to English words and then <laughs> name themselves after, like, violent English terms? Is that is that the plan? My, I mean, the movie makes no attempt to yeah. rectify any of that. But my retconning in my own head was, hey, if it's a, if it's literally a symbiote that's inside your brain, it just absorbs your capacity for language and can sure. express itself to you, you know? Yeah. Not the me. name is just the concept. And yeah. uh, they use English words to describe it. Yeah. It's but, a I mean, name it's a- that was given to Venom by Venom. I like that uh, basically it's the same plot for the Predator reboot that we just had a few weeks ago Uh, uh, where, you know, the alien comes to Earth to destroy Earth, but then goes, hey, Earth ain't so bad. I wish they had leaned into – I mean there's just one passing line where Venom goes, on my planet, I'm a loser just like you. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, why couldn't they have leaned into that and made Venom like this complete dork to his own kind? Would have loved a flashback to like Venom High School and uh, everyone's just ignoring him. Uh, Back on my planet line, like I laughed for five minutes and then I paused and I thought about it again and I laughed for another five minutes. That was my favorite part in the entire movie because it's just like, what are we doing? But also like complete waste of opportunity. Like I wanted Eddie Brock to be like sitting in a park and Venom to be like, oh man, kids, I I love this. I love it. Let's go get some ice cream. Let's go to the oh, Ferris I you wheel. Meant, like Venom like wanted to like have children. Like yeah, he wanted yeah. he's like Tom Hardy. Oh, he is like rooting very hard for Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams to get back together. He he's is? like incredibly invested. He's a couple therapist also. Like yes. uh, that was my yes, tweet after is. this movie. He's an alien, he's an anti-hero, and he's a couple therapist. Venom, your favorite anti-hero. <laughs> <laughs> and he loves tater tots for some reason. Um, he loves tater tots and Michelle Williams. I mean, so do I. Yeah, who I mean, what do yeah, you I do? guess that's true. It's very understandable. No wonder he likes Earth so much. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing I don't understand is why have none of these other companies learned from Marvel in in these end credit scenes and how to make an end credit scene? Like this end credit scene really felt like something that was made before Iron Man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of cool that they got. Uh, um, <laughs> why can't I get to said his name? Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. It's cool that they got Woody Harrelson to commit to a sequel. I guess uh, already. I don't know. It, and uh, should we talk about the second end credit scene? 
I did not stay for that one. I was out. The I was one like, that's, that's just a long clip from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? For the well, real fan. I, I like that it like it came up with this like comic type and it said, meanwhile, in another universe. And then ah. it cuts to a clip from Into the Spider-Verse, which uh, it would have been cool if they had like animated a scene like specifically for this. But it seemed like this was like just like one of the first scenes from the movie. And it like doesn't make any sense it like has no connective tissue to this movie and uh it almost feels like you have missed the first couple scenes of that movie so you don't even understand is it wait is it I'm, is it an ad for that movie yeah it's, it's just scene. it's just a long clip but like it's just a long scene from into the spider-verse where miles and peter meet each other basically well it. that's ridiculous that's not an end credit scene that's just like we put a trailer for another movie on the end of this movie i love i love how these executives think basically because they're like um symbiote synergy marketing <laughs> let's do this i just have to say this has nothing to do with anything but the word symbiote I've, i'm learning does not get less dumb the more times i hear it I that's just, absolutely true yes i do like hearing jenny slate say it though so that's that's something well, she like, was in great the trailer, she said symbiote right yeah. and then like, yeah, they in the corrected movie, they changed they fixed it she's a symbiote now like everyone mm-hmm. else uh, we we should have mentioned her before spoilers she's she's fun i love seeing her in a non <laughs> Not, you know, not goofy role. It was fun. I, I felt very bad for everybody involved in this movie, but I was also like, you know what, Jenny Slate, get your paycheck. Riz Ahmed, get your paycheck. And Michelle yeah. Williams, like, yeah, do it, go for it. I'm I mean, very happy for how everyone got paid for this movie. <laughs> but also, we all didn't hate it. Like, we didn't hate it. And it's not, I, I would rather watch this again than any of the Transformer movies. Uh, I disagree. The movie. I'm I just... talking about like like the Tom Hardy has a lot to do. I can see why he signed on other than just for the paycheck, but everything around him, mm-hmm. like and anything in this movie that isn't the um kind of Eddie Brock Venom relationship is terrible. <laughs> like really bad. Yeah. Like and not in a fun way for the most part, just just bad. Just like regular boring bad. Yeah. Can we talk about the weird over-to-the-top decisions, like Eddie Brock climbing in the lobster tank at the restaurant? I love that. That's all the full-time Hardy. Yes. I was just, like, laughing hysterically, like, what oh, is yeah. this movie? That is the be- that is a wonderful scene of just Tom Hardy going nuts, uh, where, you know, he he's hot, so he gets in the lobster tank, and then he eats a lobster, because why not? It's, I don't know. When the movie was going bad. there, I was having fun. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it was a Mike Ryan interview with Tom Hardy about that or with Reuben Fleischer. Uh, but that was a purely Tom Hardy decision. So I think like every instance where like, you know, Eddie Brock goes crazy. That is Tom Hardy playing himself in a very different movie than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and like I said, those action sequences where, you know, he's not in control and Venom is taking down the dudes and he's just sort of apologizing for hitting people at the time. He, I mean, all of that is so fun. It's really a clever concept and conceit and it works well. Yeah. Um, I would like to say this. I lived in San Francisco for a few years and movies often are set in San Francisco and are not actually shot in San Francisco, mm-hmm. but it actually, this film felt like it was actually a lot was shot there. And like the action scenes making use of the Hills, uh, Although the, whoever the cinematographer had this obsession with the lights on the Bay Bridge, I don't know. Yeah, it was um, weird. You never see the Bay Bridge featured as much. Everybody's always all about the Golden Gate Bridge, and Bay Bridge is the one that I would use because I live in the East Bay. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, cool. It's, uh, somebody actually knows Very, the city. Maybe cheaper to shoot to. I don't know. Cut, cut corners wherever they can. Uh, one one nice thing about this movie too is I think it tries to at least tries to hint at the you know the crazy 
uh, imbalance between like uh, super rich tech people and the rampant homeless, you know, population and dilemma that San Francisco is facing. A smarter movie, I think, would have done more with it. But at least this movie like does something like there's a nod to it. Yeah. I mean, it, it conveniently gives Eddie Brock like a homeless person he's friends with. And I mean, it's <laughs> it is very trite, all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, Can I we guess talk about right. the kiss. I want to talk. <laughs> we should talk about the kiss. The the venom oh, kiss. Yes. Yes. Okay. That is why we're in spoilers for that kiss. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Talk about the kiss. I, I just want to hear you guys talk about the kiss. <laughs> I'm I'm never going to forget that. Like, I, I clapped in delight. I was like, finally, yeah. a movie has given me Tom Hardy making out with his own alien parasite. I'm sorry. I know Venom doesn't like the word parasite. It's the thing that comes up several times and that made me laugh every time. Um, but I also had to like just kind of, you know, laugh and put my face, like my hand on my face when um, when the lady Venom shows up and she's got like big boobs because uh-huh. like they need to make it very clear that this is a lady Venom. Yeah. It makes no sense. I was like, sure. Okay. Why does Venom look like Spider-Man if Spider-Man's not even in this movie? Well, at least they didn't have the Spider-Man symbol on his chest. I was glad of that. I was like, if that happens, I'm going to be very curious how they explain why that is needed. But at least he just sort of had weird tones of yeah. color on his chest instead it's Eddie of- Brock's like latent hatred for Peter Parker, just like that went across country with him. And that's, that's how it ended up looking, right? I guess. Yeah. You're you're right in referencing the fact that there is sort of hints of a backstory that he yeah, did yeah. work, you know, with Peter Parker and there he like left all New the York stuff for her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's very odd. All of it is very odd. It's like this really dance of IP. Who in the writer's room was like, let's let's do this <laughs> let's do this kiss scene. <laughs> and not only the kiss scene, like there's a moment later on where they like adri- like they mention it. And I I was like in the theater like Oh my God! Yeah, that did happen. <laughs> I know how that happened. You look at the drawing of Venom, and it's like a giant tongue, and you go, mm-hmm. "Well, we got to have a French kiss with that tongue." Come on. Yeah the uh, the sex memes on Twitter happened almost instantly after that first trailer. So yeah, this is not a surprise. Yeah, that kiss uh, is going to be very. It's going to launch so much so much fan fiction. Yeah, I guess. And we also had. I mean, I, I think the. The potential boom goes the dynamite with the mask could have been very extensive because we even have the venom dog, just like we had the <laughs> mask dog. Uh, I think that I think this movie borrows from the mask liberally. It is it is uh, yeah, or almost a ripoff of that movie. It's like not quite a hundred percent a comedy, but it it almost is. And if it was, it would be the mask. That would um, be a fun movie. David Chen did tweet about this movie. He has seen the movie. So I thought I I would read his tweet for uh, so that we'd have a little David Chen on this podcast, even though he's not. Get rid of him, Peter. Come on. Uh, He says the Venom is the room of superhero films. Both films take place in San Francisco. Both are loaded with painful, cringeworthy dialogue that feels like placeholder for the real thing. And both have insane, manic, central performance that kind of make them worth checking out. Hmm. Boom goes the dynamite, I guess. Good yeah, he could have he could have he could have formulated that in a boom goes the dynamite way. I yeah. think. Well, there you go. David Chen weighs in on Venom. Uh so I guess all of us say um, you know, you could have a worse time at the theater, but also, you know, don't have to go to the theater to see don't this. Go to the theater. Yeah, wait till it gets at home and you literally just have to lift your head up and watch the movie. That's all. 
Unless you're those three guys ahead of me, because my goodness, I've never seen anyone enjoy a movie more than those dudes. They like they were just having the time of their lives. <laughs> and I didn't even have that. You know, normally in that situation, I'd be like, uh, hey, pipe down. We're all, you know, that's, you know, be because it yeah. felt like they were they were talking. They were like, oh, man, did you see that? Oh, man. And I was like, you know, I can't even harsh. This guy's mellow. Because yeah, if they're into are, the movie, it's like less of a problem, right? Yeah. They're having way too much well, fun. In, in my press screening, uh, I would say that the the the. Cr- the all critic audience laughed maybe two dozen times, like very loudly. And I was very unsure. Like I, I'm still unsure of like if some of these jokes are intentional or not. I, I think not mostly. Really? But. I think this movie knows that it's funny. I, I mean, you have a character that's joking about biting the heads off of people and, you know, all of the interplay between Venom's mind and Tom Hardy where he's like he's talking and then you know Tom Hardy answers and the people around him are like who are you talking to I think the movie knows it's trying to create a comic premise with that so I give it more credit maybe than you do I think I went to the premiere screening and I did not think that like the audience didn't laugh that much I was laughing a lot to the point where I was like oh my god I'm being that asshole everyone else is trying to take this movie seriously and I'm the like jerk that's sitting in the corner cackling (sighs) But I don't know. I I have no idea. What was yeah, industry that. screenings, I feel like, and press screenings, like people rarely laugh unless they're like making fun of the movie. So audience screens are like, a, a, I don't know, a sense of like how people are actually reacting to it. Uh, I was sitting next to a couple of teen kids and they were, you know, they were really into it. They were really into everything that was happening. Uh, this movie feels like it was made for teenage boys, basically. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's Venom. And uh, it was a movie that was made. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. <laughs> we'll I, talk now. What's well, that? Real quick. I do want to say it is weird how this movie feels more fun than any of the Amazing Spider-Man movies. How weird is that? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, that is, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But those Amazing Spider-Man movies are self-serious and they're trying to, you know, create a cinematic universe. I mean, I guess this movie is trying to create a cinematic universe, too. It's yeah. Venom cinematic universe. That universe. We're, all, yeah. we're all into it now. I guess we're in that. It's Woody Harrelson. Um, yeah, but you're right. It is It is fun. At least it's fun. It's definitely more fun than any of the DCU movies other than Wonder Woman. Mm. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's talk about something decidedly better, in my opinion. Um, let's, tra- let's talk now about A Star is Born. Maybe it's time to let the old ways down. Maybe it's time to let the old ways down. Takes a lot to change, man. Hell, it takes a lot to try. You know, man, in the old days, I always knew, like, you were going to do something, that you'd be all right. It's the first time I'm worried about you. Can I ask you a personal question? Okay. Tell me something, girl. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they liked the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. Uh, a Star is Born is a remake of, uh, I believe, 1976 film. Uh, with, there are a couple, uh, right? There are several. Yeah, there's like point. three films, I think. Mm-hmm. The, oh, I, think 
I think there was there was like one a long, long, long time ago that it wasn't even called a Star Is Born, and then there was a Star Is Born, and then they remade it. Now this is the third time. There's like a Judy Garland one, right? And then there's the Barbara Streisand one from the seventies uh, with Chris Christopherson. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and now we have uh, the latest. Wait, wait. So, ha- have any of you guys seen either any of the prior versions? I've definitely have seen not. clips of the Streisand one. Like that's a, uh, I don't know. That that was something I somehow ended up seeing on cable once in a while, but never the whole movie. So I can't really compare the two. Yeah, same. Peter, I've also you? not seen it now. Oh, that's a shame. I was hoping one of us had. Uh, I'm surprised I haven't seen it. To be quite honest with you, it seems like a movie I would have come across at some point. Oh, yeah. But I've never seen the Streisand Chris Christopherson movie. Although I I know it is well regarded. Uh, and it seems like, based on having seen this, it seems like the perfect casting for the 70s, right? Sure. Like, <laughs> it, it really works. Streisand, I mean, amazing. <laughs> uh, but this A Star is Born uh, stars Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga and uh, is actually directed by Bradley Cooper. And uh, the IMDb description says, a musician helps a young singer and actress find fame even as age and alcoholism send his own career into a downward spiral. I think this movie's soundtrack is phenomenal. I think we've all heard the songs as they started to come out. Lady Gaga clearly had a big hand in doing that. I believe this is her first film role. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. No, isn't uh, she in uh, like one of the Sin City movies? Oh, is she? Do you guys know? I mean, look. Uh, hang on. Let me see if she's in it. She's been in TV with American Horror Story. She might have been in that last Sin Oh, it's so movie. hard to find it on her IMDb because yeah, it's all she like has herself and everything. But yeah. never like, yeah, a major role. She was an alien Men in Black 3? Okay, sure. Well, my, my, my question to you, Angie, uh, is a star is born, is a star born, oh, I'm not doing it right. Star is born. a star born with Lady Gaga in this movie? Wow, you butchered that. Um, I did. I destroyed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly as intended. All right. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, is a star born with Lady Gaga? Yeah, I think she's incredible in this. I think she's really good. I agree. I think this is uh, best actress material. I, I was astounded by her performance, not just from a vocal perspective, which this movie clearly demands having incredible pipes, which she does. Uh, but dramatically, I was blown away by her performance. Um, but and I'll let you tell me what you thought of the, the movie as a whole. Me? Yes, please. Um, well, a star is born with Lady Gaga. <laughs> as you said. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, Went in kind of, you know, I expected to like it. I knew the hype around it was good. I was, I was really, I was really moved by it in a way that I really enjoyed. I think that I did not, like, I know some people it's like their favorite movie of the year or something. I wouldn't go quite that far, but I I thought it was very good. I think that she is uh, incredible. I also thought he was really good. Uh, We already know he can act, but his his singing in this is also very good, which I I thought was kind of a fun reversal, because, you know, like Lady Gaga, we know she can sing, but we didn't know she could act, and then with him, it's kind of the other way around. Um, Yeah, just it worked for me. Yeah, uh, I I found it to be um, a, a, a surprising pairing. Like, I wouldn't imagine those two as having chemistry on screen, but I thought they really, really did. Um, Devendra, what did you think of A Star is Born? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, first, I think a really good debut for Bradley Cooper. Uh, Overall, you know, a a solid film. And I think at times it even 
achieves a certain type of greatness. There's that uh, moment that's in the trailer where, you know, he pulls her up onto stage and she has the big reveal and she gets to sing the song that she's, you know, written and never thought she'd sing in front of a crowd. Like there's a lot of powerful stuff here. Um, this movie really rests on Lady Gaga and the chemistry she has with Bradley Cooper. And it goes like a long way with that. Um, I don't know like how, original it is i guess because it is a remake and because thematically they're going over so many things that i think we've seen before um from what i understand this is like less harsh than some of the other stars born uh versions where it's like the guy starts to hate her you know starts to hate the girl because of her success and she's you know overpowering him uh that's not here this is more like his internal destruction thanks to addiction alcoholism um, and that, you know, I think that's an interesting exploration, but I think throughout this movie, I had a hard time buying Bradley Cooper as this grizzled rundown guy, right? I was thinking a lot of, uh, maybe a movie like The Wrestler, where mm. the, like, the world, you know, beating down on Mickey Rourke in a way, like, you can see that through the character and he wears that much better. Uh, whereas here, I, I don't know, I always felt like it, it was Bradley Cooper performing, it was Bradley Cooper making, his big debut and he really wanted to spotlight himself. Uh, there are elements of this film that fear feel like he's weirdly um, obsessed with Lady Gaga too. Um, yeah. The way it portrays her borderlines on like, uh, I, I don't know, like uh, there's a word for this, like stalking or like overexposure or something at some point. Um, so yeah, there, there are certain aspects of this movie that just didn't quite click with me. Um, and we can talk about some stuff in spoilers. I think the last act goes to some places that feel almost cheap dramatically, like things that happen that, you, OK, you're going to get your audience to cry. You're going to you're going to maybe cement yourself an Oscar by doing this. Does it feel organic for these characters? Is it an interesting way to tell the story? I don't quite know about that. And this movie also made me think a lot about uh, La La Land, which, you know, covers similar material. It's not the same sort of setup where a star is like pulling up an unknown. It's just two people struggling. But, you know, the more I think about that movie and the more I like just think about it in comparison to this, uh, I, I'm just like also I'm amazed again that at least La La Land was doing something a little different, I think, in this type of genre. Uh, the archetypes are very different and the story, the struggle towards fame uh, is told in a much more interesting way. And yeah, uh, there's that. So that's just what I was thinking. I'm not going to directly always compare these two movies. Um, I just wish this movie brought a little new here. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a shame. I feel a little bad that I am not able to compare this to the previous versions of this movie because it would be, I think, very interesting to talk about the version of fame we see here in comparison to the version of fame as depicted in the 70s or the, I don't know, 50s, 60s, when was the other one? Um because I think fame as a, as a construct has changed and is so much more a part of our lives with the way everyone is more connected now. And it, it I think this movie kind of goes there a little bit and it's interesting. Yeah, I love to see. how everybody's like taking photos with him and she has like no interest in that. Like, yeah. she, you know, she like, she's interested in hanging out with him and learning about him, but like everybody around them in that beginning is just like, you know, it's all about selfies and photos. There's that great moment where the cashier takes a picture of, yeah. of him and he goes, she goes, oh, I'm sorry. And he goes, that's okay. And she goes, actually, it's not okay. I just loved that. I thought it was a great moment where she's like, it's not okay. <laughs> um, 
But well, Peter, what did you think of A Star is Born overall? Uh, you know, strangely, you know, I listen to this podcast every week. I've listened to, I think, every single episode. And uh, I love all you guys. And uh, I would say I think most people that listen to this podcast probably have one or two people that their views align with and one person that they probably disagree with all the time. And Devendra, I love you, but <laughs> I usually disagree with your assessment of things on a regular basis. Yeah, but that's what and, makes it fun. Yeah. But – Today, I am in complete agreement with your assessment. Your assessment could have been word for word what I was about to say. And, uh, you know, I, I think I was way more impressed by Gaga's performance. Uh, so vulnerable, natural. Uh, it was just a real treat. Uh, you know, a star is born here. I think, uh, I, I think this movie peaks with that, uh, with that, that duet, mm -hmm. the, uh, the shallow duet. And I feel like it never, you know, uh, gets to that level again and i honestly i think that's the only song i loved in this movie um i i did you know cry a bit at the end it's it's very easy for a movie to get me to tear up i i will admit um but i do think um the movie i think in that first half an hour was so uh did things in a subtle and clever way at times and was uh and as it went on it felt more like a Hollywood movie that was less believable in the way that it was presenting things. Um, I also, you know, I love, I love, uh, you know, romantic fantasies where you're swept off your feet. I love the underdog story. So I love those aspects of this movie. I didn't love the substance abuse story as much just because it always feels to me, at least in, in this movie and in, in, in other movies, like, that don't do it well, that it's kind of just obvious. And, you know, people I know that have, have had substance abuse problems. It's like not as in your face and obvious. Um, it always seems like it's like a little bit over the top. Um, and I, I, I wish that a film, I don't know, we can get into spoilers later about, about that, but, um, but I, I, I did love Gaga. I did enjoy this movie for the most part. I do think, Bradley Cooper needs to learn how to shoot wide shots. Huh. That is movie is, oh, so shallow. Huh? It lives huh. entirely in close up. I mean, it, it is in shot shallows, in Jeff. Come on, entirely. go with me here. Go with me. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. I get you. We're yeah. in the shallows now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's. I think it's an interesting technique uh, to play this entire film in close up mm -hmm. uh, in a movie that's really about people that are larger than life and situations that are larger than life that he insists on staying right up next to them in a very intimate way. I found it. I, it's not a style I tend to like, but I found it really compelling here because he, he continues to create very uh, high production value moments Moments where, for example, they're playing at the Hollywood Bowl, right, you know, right. with 17,000 people. And yet we're in tight close-up through the entire thing. So you've created this huge epic moment of, uh, you know, sort of a grandiose stage and staging and, uh, you know, tons of extras or however they shot it. I don't know how they shot it. But, you know, it, it is a, a scene where you would – immediately think, man, this huge moment with these, be all these people cheering. And yet they're all out of focus in the background, in these tight, tight shots. We're on stage with our characters up their nose in their face. And I think that creates an intimacy in the movie for me that 
turned it from being a movie about famous people who are larger than life to being about human beings who are the same kind of people as me, right? They're, they are, I mean, it's a cliche to say, you know, famous people, they're exactly like us. But this, it, it grounds the world. It, it takes it away from being something unrelatable. And only oh, these people are living this life that is so outsized and different than the existence that I have because they have wealth and fame and all this stuff. You never get a sense. There's never a moment in this movie where you see this lavish life that they live. There's no grand view of their home. Everything is in close up. You only get their faces and the stuff that you can barely see around the edges. And so it never feels like these aren't just real people, regular people that are in this, these extraordinary situations. And I found that to be really effective for the kind of tale that this is about these, these people who are struggling with very real emotions and very real insecurities. Um, but I agree with you guys that it really kind of feels like two films. And the first of the two films for me works a lot better than the second one. I thought the second one was still really good. I, I loved this movie. I, I loved it. And I cried many more times than just at the end. I, I mean, I think this movie is a testament to the power and potency of the human voice because there are moments where Lady Gaga just starts emoting through song and I was driven to tears just by the sheer power and ferocity of her talent. I, I you know, just love the, the title sequence, right? Where the title pops up and she's just walking down an alley after throwing yeah. trash away in her, like, you know, work clothes. And her her voice echoing across that alley and everything and up the walls and the title comes up. Like, that is that is perfect. That's like yeah. what this movie is really portraying well. And, and I had the the good fortune to see this movie in a Dolby theater with the Atmos. Oh, and, same. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I would highly recommend if anybody has the opportunity to do that with A Star is Born, see it in the best audio you can because it is stirring. The the Just the vocal performances from both of, both of them, but mm-hmm. certainly from Lady Gaga, um, you know, and, and the way we hear – it erupt and the way the audience reacts in the background. And again, it's all in close-ups. So you're not seeing the audience cheer. You're just sort of hearing it and feeling it. And there is, you know, there, there's that beautiful moment where she is prodded to come out on stage. And I thought she played that so perfectly, like mm-hmm. that mix of excitement and fear and uh, insecurity and thrill is all all there, all present with her and like hiding her face and not knowing what to do and saying, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this. And Oh, oh God, I guess I am doing it. It, it. There's so many wonderful moments of honesty. And and I couldn't help but think about her drawing from her own life. Cause here's somebody who's literally been through these things, you know, it's, it's that, uh, that, cool. that scene might be the best scene of this year. I like, I don't think this film is the best film of this year for me, but that scene was just, um, excellent the shallow and yet scene. what's that the shallow scene yeah yeah and, and I yet mean, it's, I, it's, oh, oh, go ahead angie no 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 please you you go ahead oh i was just gonna say like I, I i think we're all agreed that that is kind of the high point of the film and it comes a little bit earlier than i would like i mean not that the film not that that scene should come later in the narrative but just that like emotionally i think it makes the film peak earlier than it you probably ideally would want it to um but yeah i mean it was a scene that like i was watching and i like, I think that was a moment where I was just like, oh, my God, because 
I started to get very like overwhelmed emotionally without even completely understanding why it was affecting me so much. Um, so yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm, I don't remember which one of you said it, but I, I do think it's one of the best scenes just hands down of this year. Yeah, I agree. And, and yet it is a scene that is completely unbelievable, right? Like the idea that, that he could have listened remember. to her say a thing one time gone and arranged it and remembered the lyrics exactly as she spoke them to him. And then she can come out and just pitch perfectly without rehearsal, sing a song that she actually never wrote. And, you know, she just said one time, all of that is Hollywood fantasy and, uh, you know, storybook land. I like his one sentence. Like I did an arrangement. I hope it's all right. And it's like a professionally (laughs) thing that sounds like they spent months on it. Yeah. Right. And, and 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 they're doing a duet, which is so hard to do correctly even with rehearsal you know like the idea that they would she would they would know exactly when to come in and not come in you know it's it's fantasy but it's it works it works i think i mean like there's a lot of things about that that don't like in like that that don't completely make sense like when you think about it you're like how like what's the time frame that this movie takes place over like things like that like exactly how quickly did she become that famous so there are things about it that don't make sense but it works because emotionally you're with them every step of the way so you know there's no real uh so, so I, it it didn't really distract me while I was watching. It was more like afterwards when I really sat down and thought thought about it. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, sure, but it you know it's fine. I'm, like we just talked about how much we liked Venom, a movie that makes no sense in any way. So, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think we can you, forgive this movie. It's uh, it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, inconsistent. That, that's perhaps. true of all these stories too. I remember when we were talking about La La Land and people would talk about that uh, the one woman show thing. It's like, would a would a producer really be sitting there like one of the five people in the audience? I'm like, guys, come on. Like stories like this, we have to at least believe a certain amount of uh, a flight of fancy or I mean, something. That's kind of the fun of a story, like, yeah, like yeah. I don't need it to be like if I wanted to watch a movie that was very, very realistic and down to earth about it. Like I probably wouldn't be choosing this movie as, right. as my as the movie to watch. Like I come to this, I come to see a movie like this in part because I want to be swept away by like the glamour and the fantasy and the romance of it. And like, you know, just the kind of emotional highs and things like that. So Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. that sense, it worked. And I also think that just extra textually, the fact that it's being made with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper is very interesting. Like when you watch that part in the beginning where Jackson is clearly kind of very ambivalent about his fame and the way people react to him, you kind of you can't help but think like, oh, you know, this is something Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper probably actually have a lot of experience with. Or like yeah. the fact that yeah. this is a movie about Bradley Cooper teaching Lady Gaga how to be a professional pop star. And you're just like, huh, like that's yeah. kind of an interesting twist on, you know, real life. <laughs> so I, I yeah, just, it's I a feel fun like meta that, movie. Yeah, yeah for I sure. feel like that just kind of adds an extra layer, like knowing who these people are in real life and what we know about them and their careers and the images that they project, you know, as celebrities, like in the real world, it just adds an extra layer of like texture to the film that you're watching unfold. Certainly. I agree. Yeah. And 100%. I think it goes it goes the other way too. Like, uh, you know, I'm I'm aware of Lady Gaga. I, I know some of her music. I don't really listen to her. Uh, I know she's a very talented singer and a very talented performer. Uh, this movie definitely made me appreciate her a lot more in terms of what she has, uh, in terms of talent and like just her vocal skills. Um, so there is that too, you know. Like I've I've, I've heard of this person, but now I respect them a lot more. So uh, yeah, that, that's a big takeaway from this movie for me. You mean like you respect her as a singer or just yeah, like- as a singer and as a performer too? Like because her acting in this movie is tremendous. I, I think she does a great job overall. I think it's interesting because like in real life, she has such a, um, 
I, I feel like I'm going to mess this up because I, uh-huh. I haven't quite figured out how to put it into words, but like in real life, so much of what her appeal is, is artifice and like right, right. The show and being like, and being over the top. And then in this movie, it's, it's almost like you see her character kind of start to go in that direction, but mm-hmm. she starts out in a different way. I don't know. Like I just, it's, it's just very odd to like realize that this in Allie in this movie, one of the things you like about her is her authenticity and how like mm-hmm. kind of regular girl she seems when it's completely the opposite of what people come to someone like Lady Gaga for. Like I, yeah. I like her because, because she's so like over the top and ostentatious and flamboyant with like putting on different personas and like, you know, it's exhausting, but in a really fun way where you're just like, this person is like delivering, she's putting on a show. Whereas you come to this movie and you're like, what you admire about Allie is that she's so, she's so real and whatnot. I don't know. So real. I, I wonder if this is maybe something for a spoiler talk, but how much of the you know last half of this movie is like almost like a weird commentary on pop culture, but also on her own act and right her own her own character wow. that she's designed. Uh, I, I wouldn't think she would be saying that that is necessarily a bad thing, but the movie certainly portrays it as such. Can like we being go into spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's... Yeah, let's do that. I, yeah, I think uh, I think we should we should go into spoilers. I just wanted to mention how, how much I liked the soundtrack overall. I ended up buying the soundtrack on iTunes. I think the shallows is clearly the best track, but there, I think there are a number of really excellent songs overall on the soundtrack. And I'm so curious how they composed and shot all that and how that was all like, did Lady Gaga go into the studio and just kind of write a bunch of songs or, I mean, I'd love to know more about all that. And I think, I think the movie is, is, I can't remember the last time I felt like that about him. I guess, I guess La La Land is kind of like that, but um, it, the singing is better in this one. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. well, you have Lady Gaga instead of two <laughs> actors, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, she's, she's like the songs over- overall, I think in La La Land. I don't know for me. Oh, really? really? Oh, no, I think, the, yeah. I think the songs work like you, we can quibble about which ones work better in the context of the right. movie, but I think as songs, the ones in a star is born are way better. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think they're yeah. Tremendous. I, I would agree with that, but uh, yeah, as somebody I guess who likes La La Land more and contextually like ties those songs to those characters too, like that is something I still listen to today and listen to quite a bit. You know, Shallows I'll probably hear once in a while, but I'm I'm not going back to the soundtrack. Oh, I don't know. Give it a give it a whirl on Spotify. You might you might think that, and then you'll listen to it again and be like, this mm-hmm. this is actually really catchy. A lot of them work as they work better as songs out like. Uh, they they work really well as songs, like just even, you know, divorced right. from the context of the movie. They're they're just really good songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no um, Eminem uh, Venom, <laughs> but oh, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, no, the, there's actually a few songs on the soundtrack that aren't that I don't remember being in the film at all, but are duets between the two of them that they clearly made and had at the ready to be in the movie. So. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend people checking it out if you dug the songs. All right, let's let's uh, let's dive into spoilers and talk a little deeper about A Star is Born. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be... Okay, sure. can I start? Go for it. Please. Okay, um, I do think that it's... So basically, as the movie goes on, she goes from being this, like, very, like, real, like, girl-next-door type to being, like... To, like, by the end of the movie, she's a pop star kind of approaching Lady Gaga territory and, like, in terms of her uh, image and her theatricality. And it's... 
I feel like the movie is a little uh, ambivalent about that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> to mm-hmm. put like, it, you could hear it in the lyrics too. Like it's yeah, well, like it's like, texting you and all that stuff. Yeah, it's like, very shallow. For being like, oh, like now you're writing songs about butts or whatever, yeah. and you're yeah. supposed to kind of. I, I, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't think the movie is like a hundred percent on the side because he's also having a lot of issues at that point. Yeah, but yeah. Um, you are supposed to feel like, oh, it's it's kind of sad. There's like something lost when she kind of gives up her realness and like becomes like this Lady Gaga's pop star. Pop star, and I actually think that that kind of does a disservice to Lady Gaga and mm-hmm. her brand of pop stardom and like what she represents and what she's able to offer. Um, yeah. It's, it's like the movie saying, hey, but it's not her. Have something, have something of substance, like po 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 poker face. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. I know it's not her, but it. And I, I also know that it's it's probably a little bit outside the scope of this movie. Like it's you know they're they're kind of making that arc work for this character and for you know whatever. But uh, yeah, it just it just felt a little bit odd to me to be watching a movie where it's Lady Gaga, and then like the more Lady Gaga as she gets, the more like we're supposed to understand that she's losing a little bit of that grittiness and realness that made her so appealing at first. It's just, it's just odd. It is. I had that same thought. Yeah. Go ahead, Peter. I, I don't know how the other two films play out, but I kind of wish this film, uh, it's kind of told as is on a kind of a dual path of like, I think them sharing the spotlight or maybe even him having 60% and her having 40%. Yeah. I kind of wish that it was more like 70% Lady Gaga's character. And I feel like, like, uh, I hate to bring up Dave Chen again. Oh, God, Peter. <laughs> but, uh, it's the last time you get invited to the show. Yeah. But he tweeted out that uh, this film is fundamentally about a woman enduring the emotional torture of a tragically bad man. And I wish, I mean, I, I could see that reading of this. But I wish it was more about – I wish it was more of that. Mm-hmm. So you wish than, it was more uh, about her and less about him, like that the storylines were more even – or less evenly split? Yeah. No, I I, I, I kind of wish um, – like in that latter half, I, I feel like the balance goes more towards him yeah. and, and treating his storyline. Yeah. I, I do – uh yeah okay i think it makes it clear it it changes gears at a a certain point like she has once she has achieved stardom the movie decides it's about him again Mm -hmm. and uh about and it really becomes a movie about substance abuse which i think is pretty compelling in its own way but it's it's kind of a different movie it becomes this this different film and uh and i agree with you guys that the first film about her and her discovery of her talent and her insecurity and honesty and all that stuff was just much more interesting and and fun. And I think we kind of lose track of her and what's going on with her as we get more involved with his descent into oblivion. Mm -hmm. Like like there's a moment that she's doing a photo shoot and then like her manager comes up and she's like, you just got nominated for two Grammys. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, wait, what? That's like like, Zoolander scene, by the way. It's like, you're so great. You got all these awards. Look at you. It, like, it, and also, like, <laughs> compared to, like, the beginning of the film where she's, like, working at this drag bar, it feels so authentic and real. Yeah. And that scene yeah. feels like such, like, oh, this is a Hollywood movie, yeah. you know, scene. Yeah. Well, right. we leave, it's funny, it's like, too, when we, we get the scene where they're like, you're going to do Saturday Night Live with Alec Baldwin hosting. And it feels like this, oh, that's a cool data point of her onto fame. It's like, yes. no, we're going to see that scene with Alec Baldwin doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I well, mean, it's... I- it's I think it kind of it worked for me a little bit as like a like some of that some of that stuff worked for me as like kind of a whirlwind of fame thing, but I 
even though I do agree that that scene where they're just like, by the way, you've been nominated for a Grammy was a little bit like, okay, <laughs> all right, sure. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in the second half, though, like you, I agree with you. It becomes much more his movie as you see more and more of how he struggles with things. And like you, I think at some point the movie kind of loses sight of what she thinks of her own career even. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like, you know, in that scene where he, she's like performing on SNL and Bradley Cooper's watching her, you know exactly what he is, what is going through his mind and how he's feeling and all the conflicting emotions he's having about watching uh, her perform and like what he thinks of her music and what he thinks of her new persona. But you don't like, I, even while watching it, I, I don't think I completely understood what she thinks of her own new right. manufactured persona. Like you get, you know, you they show you a little bit of like how she has a manager who's kind of encouraging her to go in this direction and whatnot, but you don't get a sense of like what Allie really thinks of it, which is odd because I feel like as soon as you meet her in the beginning of the movie, she seems like someone who has such a strong sense of self and such a strong idea of like who she is and what she wants to be and what she wants to do. And there's that scene in the bathtub where he mocks that song and she goes, that's my song. That's my song. And you see, you're going to, it like hints at there being something more there and it never goes there. It it just abandons. Even at that moment, you don't know what she thinks of her own song, which I think kind of does a disservice to the character because like up until that point, it's been more even handed. And then, and then by that point, you're kind of, you start to see more and more what she looks like from his perspective and less and less of what he looks like from her perspective, even though up until like in the beginning of the movie, it was so much about kind of a two way relationship where you saw it both, both ways. Yeah. And it's weird too, because like, she's like, you know, turning down the dancers and like, there's some like battle with the Mm -hmm. studio or her management of, you know, over what she, who she is as a persona, but we don't get any indication of what you're saying. I feel like. Yeah, I agree. And it's because the movie I think is preoccupied with his descent. And, and I, you know, I thought that was handled actually pretty well. And it's an interesting view of that. I mean, I I couldn't help but think of Robin Williams, for example, you know, somebody that uh, has what you perceive to be everything and yet still struggles with this stuff. Um, And, you know, ultimately his, his tragic end. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. I know Peter, you were mentioning specifically having a problem with the the way that things resolve. I did. I certainly did. Oh, go ahead, Devendra. Well, mainly because um, even if that ending feels authentic to the character and everything, I don't know. It feels like that was also an area where this movie could have, if if you're going to really try to do something different with the addiction story too, it seemed like by the end, maybe he was starting to reckon with how terrible he is, you know, and how he's hurting her. And after her manager confronts him, you know, and pushes him and makes him realize like, yeah, every stupid thing you're doing is kind of hurting her career. Um, I get, I guess I would have liked to see the version where this guy is kind of terrible and somehow figures out a way to make himself not terrible and support, you know, his wife. And yeah. that is not the movie we get instead. Um, you know, it's a suicide story. And I, sometimes I feel like that feels cheap dramatically. Like, I don't feel like we earned that. I feel like the trajectory was going somewhere else completely. And this is just kind of where things ended up. And I don't know, it, it, it feels unearned as a dramatic move to me. It, it, it was almost played as like a kind of like a 180 twist. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, yeah. It was going in one direction. It wasn't like we saw that coming. I do like that, you know, that Hollywood isn't trying to uh, solve 
the, you know, a uh, issue of substance abuse here. And like this, like, you know, have a movie with a happy ending and right. he's given up, you know, like all that because, you know, that doesn't happen in the real world. But uh, also, um, I don't know. I, I just feel like the substance abuse stuff, I think, was a little bit over the top, like the Emmy scene. For instance, I, I know I found that to be pretty powerful. I thought that was, uh, I, that was. I mean, it was cringeworthy. I was on the edge of my seat, like, <laughs> being like no, but like so embarrassing, so embarrassing. I've yeah. never yeah. seen anything like that ever happen at any award show, and I feel like, I feel like it kept on getting more and more over the top, especially down to the P. Like, I feel like there would have been a more subtle, better, artfully done way to portray that exact thing at the Emmys. Do you know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. I think that was a Grammys at that point. Or Grammys, yeah, it was, sorry. It was a thing. But yeah, it seems like that was a point where it's felt more unbelievable than believable, I guess, where, especially in an awards show, right, there's, there's so many people involved in, like, allowing who gets to go up to on stage, allowing, like, controlling so many things. Was there nobody else sitting with them? I thought her dad, uh, played by Andrew Dice Clay, of all people. He was great. He's yeah. so good in this movie. Um, But, you know, wasn't he there, too, in the audience? Or I forget. I, I don't know. Jeez. Yeah, I think we're, th- we're led to believe he that he's there. Yeah. yeah. So it just seems like there's all these elements of, like, Nobody was like, this dude is fucked up. Do not let him like anywhere near the stage because who knows what'll happen. And yeah, the, the moment where he sits on the steps, there yeah. would have been like three yeah, or fine. four assistants yeah. to help him not be sitting there. Because this is the cameras <laughs> are getting it and they don't want to embarrass their own awards, right? I think that both of the scenes uh so, you know, we've already established, I don't know the previous versions really, but I think from what I've read, both of the scenes that you take issue with the awards show one and the and his death are like they they seem to be kind of mainstays throughout all the different versions of this for what it's worth which mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. isn't necessarily to say that this movie definitely earns it you can definitely argue about that i wanted to know what you guys think of his decision to kill himself at the end did you think it kind of glamorized suicide no i i i, I came away from it thinking it was a very selfish thing to do and uh not something you know a lot of movies like this it will portray that moment as some sort of act of uh, love, you know, almost like he's trying to do something for her. And I just didn't get that at all from this movie. It felt like it was a very selfish thing for him to do. And it, and I loved her rage at it and her reckoning. Like the movie didn't just end with his suicide. Like we have, we see how it lands on her and how awful it is. And, you know, I, I didn't, see it as as a heroic act on his part at all or even one that would be viewed positively in any I, way. I mean i think in his thought process of after her manager chews him out which come on dude like what what a way to confront this guy to you right out of rehab with all this guilt um okay but what is he supposed yeah. to do just pretend that bradley cooper isn't fucking things up for her no, but you know, it's it's this this frenemy relationship they had for a while and I guess it makes sense. It makes sense for what that character did to kind of come at him this way. Um but, you know, shitty thing and I can see somebody with yeah, you know, somebody like Bradley Cooper's character internalizing everything being said and being like, well, it would be easier for her and everybody if I just was not here. But I I also agree the dangerous thing too is to is to say like this is a selfish act, right? Because that's not something you want to put on anybody who does attempt that in real life. But in this movie, it does kind of feel like that too. That's a thing. But it also feels maybe selfish in a way, like as an actor, you know, like mm. doing this, like, oh man, I, I think of like Bruce Willis uh, at the end of Armageddon or something, right? Like the roles where the hero dies because it's very heroic because of this happening. Um, it all, I almost got the shades of that too. 
like it felt like an awards movie move rather than something integral to these characters. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know if I go that far, but I see what you're saying. Um, I did think it was. I did think Bradley Cooper's uh, Jeff Bridges impression was pretty darn good. It's a Sam Elliott impression. impression. It's it's like yeah, I guess. But it's a Sam Elliott impression. Yeah, you stole my voice. I was like, oh, he read he (laughs) read that in the script and was like, I know how to play this character. (laughs) By the way, I I love that last moment with or that moment in the truck uh, where he's dropping him off Mm -hmm. and how he just leaves after it. Ah. And you see Sam Elliott's face. It, uh, it's yeah, that's uh, extraordinary. I need them to redo. I need someone to like redo the. Uh, just wanted to see your face again scene, but with Bradley <laughs> Cooper and Sam Elliott. Yeah. The the one thing that bugged me about the end is uh, cutting to her memories of them together as she's singing. I liked cutting to him finishing the song in that moment because we had left it. When, you know that. It's a wonderful um, structure of, you know, that scene where he's like, I want to play something for you. I've been writing. She's like, oh, you got to play on the piano. And he goes in and he starts and then we leave it. I kind of saw that coming. I was like, oh, we're going to come back to that at some yeah. point. But And coming back to that, letting him at the piano finish the song that she was singing, I thought that was really cool. I just hated the fact that it needs to like – sentimentally remind us of their meeting and the fun times that we've had in this weird montage. I just thought that was a little over the top and too much. I feel like as a general rule, like I don't tend to like it when a two hour movie recaps things that I saw like 90 minutes (laughs) ago. Yeah, I know I was there. I've been sitting here the whole time. This isn't even a TV show where like, um, like several months may have passed. I was like, no, I I know. (laughs) Right. No, I agree 100%. It tends to be the case. I'm like, I don't need a reminder. You you, you set it up great. I get it. I get what we're doing here. Yeah. And, and this is like, just going with what I've been saying, like, I feel like this movie started off so artfully and like, I was so impressed. Uh, not that I'm not impressed by Bradley Cooper and what he's done in his feature directorial debut. But by the end, it gets so much broader and more like playing to the masses, I think, right. than uh, I was hoping it would be. I will tell you my favorite scene. Well, not my favorite scene, but one of my favorite scenes in this movie is uh, the Dave Chappelle scene where he basically talks about how, you know, you get a sense that Dave Chappelle was a musician as well or was involved in that world and is no longer. And he says something to the effect of, you know, I thought I wanted all this stuff and then I found this person and I have this life that's smaller and more manageable. And, and what now better person I- to talk about like the cost of fame? Oh, right? and running away from perfect like, see yeah. this movie is so clever with things like that like with the casting of someone like dave Chappelle to play that character and with the casting of lady gaga to play the character she plays and things like that yeah yeah and i love and davindra mentioned it but i want to underscore it i loved andrew dice clay i thought he was fantastic he brought a, a really wonderful charm to that father and i loved the sort of elements of, of that father's life that we only get hints at it just felt like such an int- mm-hmm. I, like I, I could see a movie about that guy you know and his, <laughs> that guy his, in his limo career i love his li- yeah. all his limo friends are just actors we all recognize from tv yeah. and other movies yeah. you like there's it's just like yeah. a great group of character actors yeah yeah uh you know it, it's a movie i loved it i i think we've we've kind of picked holes in it but i think maybe i like it even more than the rest of you because i i I came out of it just singing the songs and feeling like I went through something really powerful and magical. And, and, and a lot of that is Lady Gaga. Like I just wanted to be with that character and 
so, so much of what she goes through feels so honest. And uh, I'm just right there with her throughout her, like her best friend and that sharing of all that stuff as they go through the craziness of, of what's happening. And, and then even into her dealing with his alcoholism, I just, I was just so connected to that character. I, I loved this movie. I also like, I, I hope love she that does more acting. Like yeah, that. I agree. I love that you can tell like right away that these are characters with really strong, fully developed personalities. I, I feel like with a lot of movies, you can tell pretty quickly what you're in for. And this one, like as soon as you meet her, she feels fully formed. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she's really great in it. And I hope she gets award talk because uh, I think it's well-deserved. I mean, vocally, it's a stunning, stunning thing that she can just like do that. <laughs> but, uh, but her, her performance as a whole is, is equally stunning. Hey, I, uh, she could be on her way to an EGOT. Yeah. She's in definite EGOT contention at this point. Yeah. Just got to do a play, I guess. Uh, she already has the Grammys, right? She's like all those scenes. I was like, she's literally drawing on personal experience for all of this, you know? Uh, Pretty cool stuff. Uh, anything else you guys want to mention about A Star is Born? No, no? good. All right. Um, so that's our episode of the Slash Filmcast. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, Angie Han, tell people where they can keep up with your work online. You can find my writing at Mashable.com, and you can find me on Twitter at AJHAN. And Peter Serrata, how about you? Uh, you can find me at slashfilm.com where we write about the latest film and TV news. And we have this podcast that's published every weekday. It's called Slash Film Daily. We we cover all the big news. This week was filled with news on the Star Wars uh, live action TV show produced by uh, John Favreau. So if you want to hear about that, uh, go to uh, search Slash Film Daily on uh, iTunes or any of the podcast apps. My understanding was th- that discussion was just you guys squeeing for like 30 minutes straight? <laughs> uh, no, there's more to it. Oh, okay. fine, fine. There is, the, I'm not sure if you've seen the list of directors that yes. have been hired for the show, but it is a refreshing, d- diverse group of people that I am glad to see uh, directing Star Wars. Yeah. Of remarkable talent, too. Yeah. I mean, huge, huge names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, um, I'm not sure if anybody here is watching Better Call Saul, but there was an episode a few weeks ago that started with a split screen, and it was uh, uh, showing two characters and how their lives are kind of, you know, splitting and stuff. Uh, and that is directed by one of these directors, Deborah Chow, who is who is going to be directing Star Wars. And I, I was just, like, so in awe at that sequence. Ooh, in that I love that show, and that is very exciting. Yeah. What if, much like the rest of the world... Uh, the Star Wars TV show becomes better than the Star Wars movies. Mm. I think TV is better than movies in general right now. Um, But uh, what if that becomes true for the Star Wars universe? What kind of world would that be like? That would be fun. Yeah. That would be wild. Devendra Hardwar, what's going on with you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at at Devendra and write about techandgadget.com. And I'll probably be running away for paternity leave in a couple weeks. So we'll see how that works. Yeah. We we may or may not have you next episode or the episode after that. Uh, It's all very exciting times about to become a father for the first time. Crazy. I don't know how this works, but uh, I'll do my best. Yes. Uh, so say we all. Uh, that's all, all you can do is your best. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5 x 5tv slash DLC. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Slash Filmcast. Again, you can email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We will be back next week. It may be another double review week next week because we have First Man and Bad Times at the El Royale, and I don't want to miss either of those. So uh, we'll see you then. Uh, Take care. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotting just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who?